Heidi McDonald here at New York Comic Con, and I am in the Funko booth. How did I get here? I don't know, but I made it, and I am here with the founder of Funko, Michael Becker. I got your name right, right? You got it right, I, Becker. I've, I've heard it pronounced other ways in the playground when I was younger. So, Michael, uh, seeing you here, you are, I can see you are not just the founder, you are a customer. You, it is the Fright Night theme here for Halloween. You are totally dressed for Halloween. Is Halloween your favorite holiday? Oh, easily. Yeah, Haunted Mansion's my favorite ride. And we don't even call this a booth, we call it an attraction. Mm. That was the idea on everything from how we um, approach our booths now. <laughs> I shouldn't have said booth. I just got through saying <laughs> oh, the Oh, yes. So, so we have uh, environment. We, your environment. Yeah, we we want this to be an experience like none other for for the press, for the fans. Like, the, I want people to come away saying, "I like the stuff. It was great. I got the neat stuff I wanted." But boy, let me tell you about the attraction that I just witnessed and got to partake in. Well, we've already had quite a morning here. We had Elvira. We had Gerald um, McDaniel's. Um, and the booth is fantastic. Uh, if you check out the beat, you'll see some video that I took while I was waiting there. Um, I'd like to, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic. I feel that this Halloween is just going to rage. I mean, I can already feel the pent-up excitement about it. And the excitement here for, for what Funko's doing with the Fright Night is also feeling it. But, you know, how did how was your business affected during the pandemic? You know what? Our business actually um, increased. I think a lot of people were at home and looking for something to make them feel better. And I think a lot of people were shopping on eBay and a lot of people were collecting. And our Funko community uh, grew exponentially. So, I mean, I think a lot of people turn to things that are whimsical and fun and give them a sense of joy and relief. And, I mean, whether it's Batman or Spider-Man or Count Chocula or... You know, whatever that is, they see that it's it's innocent, it's fun, it's again, it's whimsical, and it's and it's just a way to escape, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with that. We also saw that in the in the publishing business. Obviously, the comics business soared, publishing soared, and people were at home. And you're absolutely right; they wanted things that made them feel happy. And Funko Pops do make people feel happy. <laughs> um, why do you why do you think that is? I mean, why do you think there's such a you know, what is it about these that have made such a passionate, passionate connection with them? You know, I, 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 as crazy as this sounds, I don't think it's the actual item as much as the feeling behind it. There's something about this company, the people that work here. There's a joy that's put into these items because we're, we're fans ourselves. And when we're working on these characters, the everything from the packaging uh, to everything you see, like when you see this attraction that we built here today, you can obviously see that we could have sold the exact amount of units by just having them sitting out here on tables. But that's not what we do, you know? And it's the same thing with the love that we put into the product. I think people can actually feel something through the product itself. I know it might sound kind of <laughs> metaphysical or something, but I think there's a true joy. Uh, and, and I think they're very simple. You know, it's very, it's a very simple thing to identify with. And let's face it, these aren't really toys that people sit around and play with necessarily, but it's something that you can sit on a desk or on a shelf and you can take a quick glance at, or it, it's a little bit of a representation of, of you. Like if you're everything about Harlequin, that gives us a little 
uh, inside peek at what you like and what you might be about, right? If you're everything yeah. about the ad figures or everything about, you know, uh, Superman, that it tells us a little bit about how you think and what you like. Yeah, you know, I I think you're absolutely right. I, sometimes when you do get the Funko Pop for the character that you love, it's kind of like that. Like, oh, I finally got it. You know, like I have this this really close connection with that character, and it is, you know, something that's very personal. What your your favorites are, so it's 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 incredible. I mean, here in New York, you go to the deli and they sell Funko Pops. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Like for me, I'm a big fan of uh, the advertising figures, and it goes back to my fondness of those from from my childhood. So when I see Captain Crunch or Tony the Tiger. Or, you know, that all those things make me feel good and maybe it takes me back, you know, to a simpler time. Yes, yes, exactly. No, uh, we did have Elvira here and Cassandra Peterson and uh, Daryl McDaniels. What are What is Funko doing with them? I mean, it's really funny. Over the years now, we've, we've, um, we have these partners. These, they're really friends of Funko. They're not bought and paid for celebrities that we have to fly in from all places of, of the globe to, to try to pitch our stuff. We've just developed relationships and, and, and they actually love Funko for Funko. And along the way we said, hey, you'd be great at being a Funko Pop. And I think with Elvira, we may have made 12 different Elviras and we have an announcement tomorrow of a new item we're making with her. Um, and then I, like with DMC, I mean, you heard him speak. I mean, he's all about feeling good and He's all about community, and he's all about culture and coming together. And I mean, I thought I was going to tear up there this morning with his his speech, uh, because he's he's just such a genuine, wonderful, humble, you know, spokesperson for love, really. And I guess that's that's probably the best way to say it. And it was quite a curtain raiser. <laughs> and, and and even with you guys today, that's what I really wanted to do is was have a semi scripted show where you guys came and went, Holy shit, I've never been to a, a press event like that in my life. Well, uh, for anyone who knows me, getting up at uh, to be somewhere at eight AM was a real um, you know human a test of the human endurance and <laughs> but I made it here and you know, I'm very, very glad I did. It's it's been very uh, impressive. Um I always, we all have our favorite Funko Pop ideas, and of course I tell this to everyone I meet who likes Funko, and now I'm sitting here with you, the founder of Funko, so I can finally pitch this idea. Of course, I know it's up to the licensee, but Mike, what about a series of Coen Brothers Funkos? All, you know, all All the the killers, yes, all the, all the great characters. You know, it's, it's funny you should say that. (laughs) It's been talked about. It's uh, it's pretty hard nowadays to to come up with something that hasn't been talked about. But again, yeah, it's a it's usually a licensing thing. Uh, but at least I think that what you you're bringing up something that hasn't been done or that um, has been talked about recently. So I applaud you for that <laughs> because I and I'm not kidding you. I've sat down with people and they go, "Okay, I got an idea for you. Don't steal it." You know, have you ever thought about doing Star Wars? <laughs> And I go, oh, you mean like you know, six hundred? We've already, you know, but but I'm not kidding. Like, it's it's pretty funny, but it's 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 part of the it's part of the job. Well, I'm I'm glad I came up with a with yeah. a pretty good one. Yeah, um, you did. Um, I, I you know obviously I know these are incredible business relationships, but can you tell perhaps some sort of anecdote about a license 
that you maybe have to go a little bit above and beyond for, you know, that have a bit of adventure. Oh, there, there's a lot of them, especially on the music side, because with music, uh, a lot of times the people that work with musicians are usually, you know, uh, family members or it's not usually the traditional way, uh, you know, like working now with some of these younger artists like Bella Porch. You know, she's got whatever it is, 92 million TikTok followers and, it, you know, someone that's real young like that. And, and then uh, we just did a lot with her and, and, and oh, and with her, H-E-R, Gabby Wilson. We're, we're really pleased to work with her. She is the real deal. She is so genuine and... Um, Talented. Oh, my God. She's maybe amazing. I can announce here. Oh, yeah, I can't can't announce that but we are doing uh, a pop and a gold figure with 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 gabby and she's going to be in beauty and the beast oh uh, december 15th on uh i think abc and and she's going to play hell wow oh well tune into that um uh let's have a little bit more time here's the last question what are you looking most forward to at new york comic-con um i'm looking to see the fans faces because we've never done it up to this level before with both the Fright Night event that's like a, a fan event tomorrow night and then uh, we've never done it with co- basically costume performers and an attraction to this level so for me the payoff is then getting to look at their faces and seeing how excited they are for this stuff but the experience yeah the tomorrow tomorrow night's event um it's it's on the it's on like a rooftop venue right yeah but it's indoors okay uh, so don't worry. And you know, you got a free ticket, right? I, I did get my ticket. And, and you know, listeners, uh, I will be reporting on this on our uh, next podcast for sure, because I'm really looking forward to it. Um, Mike, thank you so much for taking some time here. I, I just caught you in between, you know, live interview in the Philippines. You know, I'm sure CNN and everybody, I know you're incredibly busy here, but thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us. Oh, you're welcome. It was fun. Thank you. Hi, Heidi McDonald back at New York Comic Con. I'm here at Fair Square Comics with Fabrice Sapolsky. Fabrice, hello. Hello, everybody. Uh, so Fair Square Comics is your own kind of comics line imprint. Yes. Um, how long has it been in existence? Um, it officially started in 2019, but we started really becoming a real publisher late 2020 when we did a book called Noirs in Black. That was a, a, an anthology with uh, 16 stories by 40 black creators who all kept their rights. So it was a very important thing. And, and Fair Square Comics has been built both on representation, because we're immigrant and minority-owned, and also on creators' rights. So this is our two, like, pillars. Right, right. Now, do you... Do you um, do you do crowdfunding to to get your books out there? Do you publish? I mean, did, I, you do use crowdfunding. We did, we did. But yeah. the thing is, like right now, we put that on a hiatus because the crowdfunding market is kind of saturated at the moment. And uh, since we're distributed by Diamond uh, Diamond Books and Diamond Comics, uh, it's as much energy and investment to put a book out than to spend thirty days. Uh, chasing money directly from crowdfunding. So, so we decided to pause the crowdfunding program and, and just focus on releasing more books and we're going to have 23 titles in 2023. Awesome, awesome. Wow, 23 titles. Yes. Now, you just publish graphic novels. You don't do yes. periodical comics, Yes, we right? do. We oh, do. We, crea- do. We, created, we created this format which is a peri- what, what Marvel used to call the deluxe uh, the deluxe format. I believe it's also called the prestige, and the prestige or the format, Ronin yes. format. So right? what we do now is that we're doing these books, these periodicals. They, are, they go for twelve ninety nine, and they're sixty four to eighty pages, 
and we're putting them bi-monthly uh, when we're doing a series like this book that you're premiering here called Beyond Topia Legends. This is a New York exclusive that we have, New York Comic Con exclusive, but the book comes out on November 2nd, issue one of three, and we're going to have our first ongoing series in 2023, same format. It's going to be bi-monthly, and it's going to be 64 pages every time. So wow. we're going to try something different because, again, when the market is saturated, with everybody doing the same, we believe in counter-programming. When you're a small publisher, you have to stand out. And the only way to stand out is, A, put a little bit more money in the hand, in the in the pockets of retailers and uh, and do something different for the fans and that's what we're trying to do so I uh, like you're publishing uh, are you picking up some European comics so yes also is that your main yes your main outfit no or? that's not our main like we still have a majority of titles that have been created in the American market for the American market but let's say that uh, for 2023 and beyond we're gonna buy more of, of, of European content and the reason is simple because I'm French and I, I came from that and I've been in the U.S. for seven years, I understand this original content probably more than most right, uh, because right. I don't have any problem you with can, the language. Right, I was going to say, you could read them and you can tell if they're any good, not just exactly. look at the art like we do and be like, oh, it looks exactly. beautiful. And it also like uh, allowed me to have a to develop a some kind of special relationship with the publishers in France. So we're going to pick up a few titles. Uh, we're actually going to have like six, ti six, seven titles next year that are going to be from various French publishers. But yes, we're still, we're still doing create our own. Uh, we welcome, we have actually, I'm not saying this lightly, we have the best deal in comics. <laughs> we have the best deal in comics because we offer a real true partnership with creators that are especially creators that minority creators or immigrant creators like us, uh, to, to, to have, uh, to get in control of everything. And we're not trying to infantilize them. We're not trying to do everything in their back. Everything is on the table. And we're working with them to make sure that they get the best and the most of the hard work that they put right. in for the book. So everything is creator, creator owned. Yes. Okay. Creator focused. Creator focused. Yes. Okay. What, what, how do you define creator focused? Um, well, it, it's, it's mostly in the deal that we're doing. Like instead of having a traditional publishing deal, we're offering a licensing deal okay. to local creators okay. in the U.S. And, and that way, the material comes there. We offer editing services mm -hmm. for free, for example, which are like charged by other companies. You don't have, when you want to do a periodical, you don't have a standard $2,500. Uh, you recognize who I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> fee, <laughs> to, uh, to publish your comic. Uh, and we focus on graphic novels, especially with, uh, um, uh, middle grade mm -hmm. slice of life, YA. We really have those kind of, uh, of priorities, mm -hmm. uh, now, you just told me, uh, when I came over here, you told me about a book called No Kidding, uh, no that kidding, you're putting yeah. out. Can you t yes. tell, tell us, uh, for the podcast what it's all about? It's a, it's a book about women's rights. Mm -hmm. It's a book about two women, um, who, uh, have, who are confronted to this choice of, uh, how are they going to deal with having a baby or not having a baby and, and have a hard time being ostracized or judged just because they have a different choice than what society is trying to impose on them. And, and it's a, it's a funny book. Like, there's a lot of jokes about it. it it's, it's really lighthearted. It's not trying to take any side, but it's trying to tell people that beyond the, uh, all the debate about abortion, it's about women. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and for once, I mean, I think the spine, because we have this thing on the spines of our book is that instead of doing the, the traditional, um, authors, we're telling a story. So, 
Um, oh, yeah. What we did, can Jean and Lucy choose their future without being judged for once? Wow. And, yeah. um, and, and, and this is, this is all about that. This is all about the choice. And it, it kind of creates this new cycle. We're going to have another book coming out in February about body positivity called Dear Body, which is 12 stories by 12 uh, women and non-binaries about their relationship with their own bodies um, in various conditions. And we're going to have a, another book in June called A Boy Named Rose about this boy who grew up as a woman. Uh, and and it's, it's just like... We're trying to open minds. We're trying. We're not trying to judge. We're just putting these books on the market and have people like we're looking for smart readers. Right, right, right. <laughs> now this book, no kidding, is it already? It was published originally in France, though, right? It was published originally in France. Uh, I, I believe it's, it's, ten years ago. And the creators are the creators are French, but one of them, uh, Marguerite Sauvage, uh, is actually living in in Quebec now. Mm -hmm. So right, yes, right. and she's she's huge on the American market. Oh like, yeah, yeah, she's a, absolutely. She's, yes. she's an amazing, amazing artist. Yes. And you, you were saying that it, the first printing sold out of this. Sold out. It yeah. sold. It sold out the week it was released. The first week of September, and we're now processing the reprint, mm -hmm. so it will be available again in a few weeks. So, Fabrice is a small publisher. Yes. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of big global problems right yes. now with publishing. You know, supply chain and shipping, and you know, the global economy. I mean, what's what do you think is the biggest challenge you face? You know, going into 2023 as a as a publisher. There are two major challenges. The one I would say is being visible, mm -hmm. because the market is very crowded. I mean, it. it you probably have noticed as oh, yes. a journalist that there's a new publisher every week. Oh, yes. Yes, um, I can't even keep up anymore. Exactly. And so it's, it's really hard to stay relevant, to, to, to stay visible, and to show people who we are. And especially being like minority and immigrant, we, are, we have this issue of, okay, where, where's our space? And we decided to have a, a very different strategy than other publishers. We invest a lot on conventions. We invest a lot on direct relationship with the people. We're going to the stores. Uh, our deal with Diamond is great, but it's not enough. So we're trying to be physically present. We don't do any digital. It's it's a choice. We we believe in books. We believe in people reading books. We believe in people handing a product that is actually a good product. They can feel it because there's a kind of like relationship between the people and the books, and we believe in that. Um, the second challenge is, of course, maintaining. Uh, the, the cash flow and and the production with all the issues that we know about right, paper right, right. and about distribution. So this is this is difficult, but we we're getting there. We're getting there. I mean, we have a good printing partner now, and um, and we're trying to move forward. I mean, as I said, like when you start in 2020, we started with one book. 2021, we did four. 2022, we're doing 11, and 2023, 23. All right. So, well. I think we need to do a print spotlight on uh, Fair Square. Uh, and just, I want you to give a shout out to your partner, your wife. Uh, yes, Crystal, who's also co-owner of the company. Right, right. Yes, exactly. absolutely. So, yes. uh, Fabrice, what are you looking most forward to for this New York Comic Con? I'm looking for, like, making a, an impact, uh, show people what we have. We have this book called Beyondtopia Legend Number 1 that we're, we have uh, partnered with, with uh, Henry Barajas and Brian Valenza. And, uh, and it's a wonderful book. It comes with, it's, it's a reinvention of Indonesian legends and, and myth oh, yes, for, yes. for, uh, for the American audience. Uh, there's a, a bunch of uh, authors that are very well known. It's, it's beautiful. It's a three issue mini series and it will be available 
on November 2nd, and the first issue is actually here premiering at New York Comic Con. Well, I'm looking at it right now. It is a special. It's got a New York Comic Con, a uh, little legend on it and everything. So, yep, yes. uh, it, come by here, booth number... F25 F and F26. F25, just in case this goes up while the con is, is still on, which I think we're planning to do. Thank you very so, much, Heidi. Well, thank you so much, and, you know, as always, there will be more to come. Three, two, one. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, Editor of uh, The Fanatic, PW's twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter, and co-host of More to Come, PW's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novels. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Okay, uh, uh, More to Come listeners. Uh, believe it or not, we're back on the floor of the Javits Center, New York Comic Con 2022, the belly of the beast, pop culture, more than you can handle, more than I can handle. This is just the first two days or so, so it's actually subdued in comparison to what it'll be like on Saturday. But I have the great pleasure to be here to be interviewing Stephen Graham Jones, uh, author of, I, can, I counted on Wikipedia, nearly 30 novels and collections. I think the most recent ones, Only Good Indians. Uh, uh, my heart is, is a chainsaw. Uh, uh, Stephen, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Man, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, we're here to talk about uh, what I think is going to is a fascinating new series. It's called Earth Divers Kill Columbus. Uh, in some ways, that says it all, but it doesn't say it all. Um, uh, it's it's elegantly uh, and in some cases violently illustrated by David Jonfalis. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, I think the title gives you some idea. It's a time travel story. So uh, 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 tell us more about it. Yeah, it's a time travel premise. But you go back to 1492 to stop America from happening because these indigenous survivors in 2112 have figured out that if America doesn't happen, they think then the world has become as polluted and the um, ecosystem doesn't collapse and things are better, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, one of the descriptions yeah. I left out, this yeah. is a post-apocalyptic tale. Yeah. Uh, I think it starts off, you know, everyone is left, but the original yeah. Yeah. Uh, inhabitants For of sure. this planet. I mean, that's kind of, when you, when you move among Indian America, you get the feeling that we're all just waiting for a century more, a century or two to pass when we can have our land back. Right, right, you know? yeah. And that's what we're waiting for. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you remember the, the, the Blackfeet, Blackfeet, Blackfeet. Uh, Nation? Um, it, it, tell us about the, the characters. Uh, like what, there's Tad, Sash, I believe his girlfriend, yeah. G.I. Jane, there's another character whose name I'm not pulling up. Yeah, there's... Um, Tell us how they work together here. Yeah, there's there's Tad and Sash. They're a married couple. There's um, Yellow Kid. He's a Blackfeet, kind of a data rat. Mm -hmm. who, he's the programmer, the, the, the mind of this operation. Or he's the one with the intention, anyways. And there's Emily. She's coming... She's Seminole. She's... Her job, as she sees it in this post-apocalypse, is to raid or break into the left-behind museums and take all the um, artifacts of colonialism and settlers... And walk them across, throw them in the Pacific, and they're they're by <laughs> like she on litter patrol, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. Um, but they, the scheme, uh, it was about giving too much away. They seem to be in a cave. 
how does this facilitate it? It, it, it? It's tough to know what to ask you and what isn't a spoiler. Yeah, but we'll, we'll work on it. The, tri <laughs> the trick is when the um, ecosystem collapsed, a lot of rivers dried up. And one of the rivers that dried up exposed a cave that has been hidden for its whole life. Turns out that cave is a time travel, not a device, more of a, a conduit or a, just a place where you can go to different times. And they figure out how to, not weaponize it, but how to utilize it. And if you if you want to go back to um, 1922, maybe you bring a copy of Ulysses into the cave, and that brings you back to 1922. Oh. You know? So whatever you bring into the cave, that it's like tells the cave where to deliver you. you know? and, and so, Interesting yeah, device. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fun. But, yeah. I mean, to tell you the truth, I wonder... It feels like 90% of the time travel stories that anybody tells come out of Terminator. You know? <laughs> it's hard to avoid that. Well, I mean, I mean, that's the kind of the, the, the plot here. Yeah. Um, I, um, I, I am curious how, I mean, Tad seems to be equipped to do this. Yeah. I mean, to go back and essentially become a sailor on, yeah. on one of the three ships. Yeah, he doesn't have any sailing experience. Ah, which he, becomes an issue. It becomes an issue for sure. <laughs> but he does, the reason he is elected of the four people to go back in time is that he has um, a lot of languages. He's a linguist. He's a scholar. He's an academic. But being an academic doesn't give him any um, tactical advantage at all. It just allows him to actually communicate with the people in 1492 on these, sh on these particular ships. Um, Sash would have been better to stand back because she's a fighter. But she, a woman can't be a sailor back sure, then. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. and, and Yellow Kid sees himself as the brain, so not the doer, the thinker, so he stays behind. And Emily also couldn't get on deck. So yeah. it, has to, it has to be Ted. Well, what's interesting, of course, is a modern personality dropped into the yeah. 15th century uh, sailing. Uh, and as elegant as the illustrations are, it's a brutal world. Yeah. And Ted has to become uh, a different kind of person. He does, yeah. He has to become more like Sash, basically. He has to become more ruthless. And specifically, he has to um, figure out whether his future is more important than these people's presence. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and he's very aware of the ethical quandary there, the, the quagmire. Because how do you... like? We all feel like our story is the important story, but if our story results in somebody else's story having to stop, then I don't know, that's a lot stickier. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, where I see the, the story likely going, of course, is a a world unimpacted by Columbus. Yeah. Um, is there a way... Uh, now, of course, we also know in times uh, travel stories, there are unintended consequences. Yeah. So, uh, but can, without a spoiler, can you sketch out what a non- Columbus impacted world would look like? You know, as far as North America goes, anyways, um, I think if Columbus doesn't kick open the gates like Custer did for the Black Hills, yeah. then um, I suspect that one of the other European powers, you know, kind of annexes sure. North America. And so it's really between France and Spain. And I suspect, I feel like Spain. Back then, they were more plunderers. They just wanted to come and get the gold and go somewhere and else. And get out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> France, they were trying to build an economy with the fur trading and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and so, I think France probably... I mean, France used to... Before mm -hmm. the Louisiana Purchase, France did own sure. a lot of it. You mm -hmm. know? Um, I feel like France probably... We'd all be Francophones right <laughs> now. You know? So, I mean, obviously the question is roll around. Um, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. Like, we all think going back in... 
killing Hitler would save the world, but what if Hitler was the best of all possible options? <laughs> it's even you know? worse uh, actors out there. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, all possible. Yeah. Look, uh, uh, well, I think you've done comics before. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you've done and, and in your own personal interest in comics? You know, my personal interest in comics starts when I'm 12 years old in a gas station in rural West <laughs> Texas, and I find Secret Wars number four on the round rack. Yeah, okay. It changed my life forever. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Got, that's my introduction to Spider-Man, Iron Man, all, yeah. all them people. Um, yeah, yeah. But I've been living in comics ever since then. I wonder if when I was like 19 and starting out writing, if I would have had any inroad into comics, I think I would have gone comics and probably never come over to fiction. Become any? Oh, really? Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. You know, years ago, probably 15 years ago, I asked another writer, Joe Lansdale. Sure. Mm-hmm. I said, um, you've done comics, you start out in fiction, how do you make that transition? And, cause I thought it was like a voluntary act, like mm-hmm. you, you wish it and it comes true. <laughs> he said, he told me, he said, all you do is you write your novels as best you can, and after a while the comics industry comes to you. So I did that, I just wrote the novel, best novels I could, and find the comics industry, called me and said, give us some pitches. And so. Well, you, yeah. you're also living in a period now, where the kind of stories, the points of views that you would never or yeah. very be very unlikely you would see a fifteen yeah. or twenty years ago, yeah. uh, even coming out of an independent house like IDW, it's a very different world. And I've also just been uh, not so much amazed, but really delighted by the number of novelists, yeah. uh, of prose writers of all kind, who just when they saw the door open, yeah. For them to be involved in comics, they just, they jump through it with both feet. Yeah, like Ben Percy's a good example of that. Sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. there's so many names we, we yeah. could call. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, there's people that go the other way, like Neil Gaiman, you know? <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you're right. He, all these comics, and oh yeah, he's like, now he writes novels. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how Native American beliefs, culture, there's an origin story, I believe, in the, in, in the first issue. Uh, how did they, how do you you uh, uh, integrate that into this this plot? You know, in my initial pitch for this Earth Divers, this little Earth Divers story, the origin story was not part of the pitch at all. It only happened when um, my initial title for this was The Age of Discovery. But then, once I got the story beat out, I realized this is not The Age of Discovery, this is something else. And yeah. I couldn't figure out a title, so I asked my wife. And so I gave her the pitch, and she said, well, it sounds like an origin story. Tell me some native or- origin stories. And Earth Divers was the, it's the first one you think of, because it's across a whole lot of different tribes. Uh, yeah. A lot of different tribes awesome. tell the story. And um, I had just come back from a conference in which I, in which I heard, a, I think it was a geologist, actually, giving a talk about Earth Divers, how people working the edge of the glacier that used to be America, the western edge along like Oregon and Washington coming down, that the earth divers' animals are kind of the order in which they would have encountered those animals, you know, which is really interesting to me. And and so it all just kind of came together. And so then I told Mark and Maggie at IDW, let's call us earth divers. And they were like, yes, that's a perfect title. And so then... Earth divers like the muskrat, the duck, the otter. They yeah. all became mm-hmm. they became part of the story in a completely different way, which has opened things up tremendously. Yeah. It's really, so I really have my wife to thank for that. Well, really great. Um, the story, at least in this first issue, we are, we jump between the cave and the remaining members of this team, uh, looking for evidence yeah. that the world has changed, but also on the ship where Ted is really facing. Uh, questions of his uh, authenticity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he really is. Uh, yeah. He he speaks in English at one point. Yeah, yeah. 
It's not a good thing. Not a good thing. Uh, and I realized once I started figuring out like what this first issue is going to look like that um, the moment Tad goes through this time travel cave back to 1492, that that instant he steps through, history should change then. You know, it's yeah. not going to wait like. If it takes Tad a month, history's not going to wait a month to change. It's going to change in that instant. And so that's why these people are out in a remote place where they can't see the, the skyline of New York City changing right. or anything. Mm-hmm. You know? They have to trek out to yeah. find that information, yeah. and, which is really yeah. fun. Because, They're looking for books, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. 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 History books that have updated yeah. because of Tad's tampering. But, so it's really fun that 1492 moves at what feels like a regular pace. Like, it'll cover maybe 30 days. Whereas 2112 covers like a day and a half. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. fun to do it like yeah. that. Well, I mean, it's it's a engaging story. Uh, obviously, we're all living under the, 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 the shadow of the... Uh, Columbus, yeah. uh, Native American people more so than anyone. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I saw this on the publicity sheet, I said, "This is the this is the guy I want to talk to." Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, yeah uh, I can't wait to see the the rest of the issues, and of thank course, you. being a book guy, I can't wait to see it's collected into a collected yeah. edition. It will be. Yeah. Um, can you can you give us a hint about what's what anything that's coming without it being a spoiler? Let me think. Um, Yeah, without spoiling, that's the hard part. That's um, a hard part. <laughs> it, it gets, it, you know, in some of the promotional material I've seen for this, it says it's a historical slasher. You are going to see... Because right, you, your work, your yeah. writing is, is sort of crime, yeah. horror. Yeah, yeah. And, and so there, as you get up to maybe issue four or five, there's going to be a lot of slasher techniques on display. It's going to, like that little bit on in page, is it page two? And... Earthdivers. No, it's page. There's a there's a there's a there's an incident. Yeah, there's a, that, there's that. a throat cutting. Yeah, which is prelude to a lot more throat yeah. cutting. All right, yeah. there you go. There you go. There you go. That's the tease that I that I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. Look, hey, look. Th- th- thank you so much. This is a this is a wonderful combination. Earthdivers of, of of history, you know, the fictional imagination on kind of the these those biggest questions of colonization, genocide that this country. Uh, and all of us kind of face to this day. So, uh, uh, Stephen Graham Jones, thank you so much for being on More to Come. It was an honor to be here. Thanks for talking to me. Great to talk to you.